You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This is the 3CR Gardening Show and I'm Virginia Hayward. With me are Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Nursery and Craig from Gentiana Nursery. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Virginia and listeners. <laughs> and Stephen. Good morning, everybody. And the weather, although yesterday wasn't exactly perfect, the day before was perfect gardening day. Yep. Yep. Yeah, in fact, we've had a couple of nice gardening days, as long as you're wearing your gumboots, because it's still pretty wet out there. Yeah, yeah, look, yesterday wasn't too bad. It was typical spring. Yeah. Yes. Right. It was nice early in the day. It got a little bit sort of iffy at Macedon in the afternoon, so it sort of, yes, deteriorated somewhat. So there you go. So, But anyhow, could be a nice day to be out in the garden today. Why not indeed? It looks all right out there so far. So I'm very happy to be out in the garden today, and I hope everybody else is too. So. Any day, really. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, it is nice to get out there, and uh, and spring is sprunging, and uh, everything's madly breaking into leaf and flowering and doing all its springy things, and so it's a highly exciting and, I think, really important time to be out and about in the garden because you'll miss things if you're not fast. Yes. Yeah. I mean, your average clump of crocuses lasts about a week, and if, it, if you don't get a sunny day, they don't open. But what a glorious week. Yeah, it is. That's the whole point. But if yeah. you're not out there to, to grasp, at the moment, uh, it's all gone. So, yes, so you do need to be out and about in the garden at the moment watching everything that's coming out. But there is a sort of lull, isn't there? Yeah, the galanthus and the daffodils, mm. and then you sort of have a lull right now before the, the main thing starts. Yeah, so I've got my very first tulips just coming out, so... There is colour on the way. <laughs> I've got some hyacinths in the garden, yeah. Yeah. which have been there for years. And every time they come up, I think, you do look peculiar in my garden, but I never <laughs> take them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're a sort of a stodgy, funny sort of a flower in a way, aren't they? They they're, are. The yeah. only thing that's good about them is both the smell and the brightness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think the wild version of Hyacinthus orientalis that those ones were bred from is a much more elegant little plant. And, in fact, I was up in Castle, Maine week before last. Straight after my garden opening, we took a day off, which we haven't done for years. So we went up to Castle, Maine for the day, um, went out to lunch, uh, went to the Botanic Gardens, and we went to Buddha. Uh, Did you? How nice. historic house up there. And I haven't been up to Buddha for years and years and years. And I have to say, spring is the time to visit there. It's looking good. Looking fantastic. I mean, the oxalis is looking particularly good. But apart from that, um, the garden's full of bulbs because it's a very spring-oriented garden because in mm. Castlemaine, of course, it gets quite hot and dry in summer. Irrigation's not that easy. It's very rocky soil. I mean, the whole of Castlemaine was Castle tipped Maine upside is down. Castlemaine is a difficult place to grow. Really. Oh, yes, it mm. is. It's very hot and dry in the summer. It's very cold and crisp mm. in the winter. Um, but the spring bulbs were looking fantastic and they had quite a lot of Hyacinthus orientalis in the garden there, which I assume dates back to when the Lavinis 
owned the property, um, and their flowering quinces were in full bloom, and they were looking stunning. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, there was lots of other springy things happening. Blossom my trees Chinese, coming. Up. My Chinese quinces are just mm. coming. I, the brightness of that pink—it's mm. a lolly pink, listeners. Mm. Whereas the ordinary quince. Is a is a pale pink, but yeah. the thing about the ordinary quince is it has the largest, largest flower. Oh, it is so beautiful wonderful. flowers! Uh, wonderful. Uh, I adore the normal quince for that. I don't like it quite so much late in the summer when it's covered in black spot and looking pretty miserable because that often happens with the classical quince. So and it's I, beautiful I prefer in the to cook with the Chinese quince too. Chinese quinces are lovely for cooking. Mm. They're a really, really good quince. So more uh, perfume. Yeah, mm. and I think too they give you more in the garden throughout the year. They don't seem to get the black spot as badly as a normal quince. Uh, you get the spring blossom, which is lovely. You get the big fruit, and if you don't use them, they look lovely hanging on the tree. Then you get autumn colour, which you don't expect off quince. Uh, so you can get really good autumn colour, and of course, a well-grown one also gets lovely patchy bark. Because so the autumn colour lasts for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sort of come and shed no. overnight like say a claret ash would or yeah, some of those right. sort of things. Yeah. I've, I've planted about about seven of them in my paddock, mm. and they do. They look fabulous. And Nothing I, I exce- come succeeds like excess. Mm. I want to come and dig one up. No, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, actually. I've got one I was thinking of getting rid of. Yeah. So, oh, well, there you go. There's an you opportunity want, for you, Craig. Do you want to bonsai it? Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, to make a good bonsai. Principal species. Yeah. 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 So, yes. And, and, and one of the few deciduous trees that's referred to in the masculine. Oh, Really? Yeah. Well, I that, wonder why. Because the 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 trunks are so heavy. Ah, yeah. yeah. So it's got that sort of got that sort of look. A yes. bit rugged. Yes. Yeah. 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 I th- I think it's a lovely tree, and it's it's small. I like a small tree. Yeah. I like a small tree or a big tree. I suppose the downside of them is that they take a while to make a decent shape. They can be scruffy for the first few years. I grew all mine from seed, yeah. which I'm hopeless at, so I was very proud of yes. the fact that Terry, I don't. Yeah, not, not a challenge, Virginia. Oh, <laughs> challenge for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, very pleased that they, that they happened. But um, I would like to grow. I've got – I had – Five and now I've in one part in the paddock, and I've got four because one of them blew out in one of those storms. And I'd like to plant an ordinary quince there, so that I've got one of it as a contrast almost. Yeah. Mm. But I haven't as yet done that. I've got to go and acquire an ordinary quince. It shouldn't be too hard to do. Although you probably would have done better if you'd done it in sort of June, early yes, July when yes. the bare root trees root, were yeah. coming in. Yeah, yes. but, but I anyway. was in London. Yes, well, <laughs> or I, all right, swanning around. <laughs> oh dear. But um, the other thing that's nice at the moment is we've still got the end of all those winter flowering things. You know, oh, the yeah. camellias are still looking – well, some of the camellias are still looking good. Mm-hmm. The wat- Some of the wattles are still looking yeah. good. Oh, and the hellebores are still holding up in the gardens yep. pretty well at the moment. So they're certainly looking quite nice in my garden. So, yes, yeah, so some of those late winter things are still doing their stuff, which is good. And I brought in – Oh, you bought in a Stachyurus. A Stachyurus, because I think it is absolutely beautiful. This is a Stachyurus praecox. I don't know if it has a common name. Early spike tail is the common name for Stachyurus. Stachyurus might be easier. Yeah, well, you do wonder. Uh, I think some common names uh, are a bit sort of superfluous. It's like saying climbing Ulstromeria when the botanical name's Bomeria. I mean... You know, why would you bother? It's harder to spell and it takes longer to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Stachyurus, early spike tail. 
they have everything going for them too because they often colour well in the autumn. Mm. And I love the fact that they come out with those beautiful flat tiers of branches from which the flowers then hang. Mm -hmm. So it's got, I think, serious elegance. Well, the one in my garden I think is beautiful. Mm. And at the insistence of one of my friends, I took down a rather big not very old, but rather big magnolia in the bed it's in. And because I've taken that very heavy plant out, it's opened up that whole bed and the stachyurus is just looking absolutely beautiful. Yeah, It's a gorgeous plant and given enough time, it can get surprisingly large. Um, Well, there is one in Clifton Hill Mm -hmm. where for people who live locally, at the very top of Gold Street, just before it runs into... um, Um, Queen's Parade, Mm. there's a big house and it's got a wall and against this wall there's a stachyurus and it must be 20 foot high. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me. Just at the moment it looks absolutely fabulous. Somebody way back Mm -hmm. thought to plant something interesting, which is good. I remember seeing a very old one in a garden up in Bright. It used to belong to a couple called the Stapletons. Uh, It was called Merry Meat place, I think, the the garden, Uh, and they had one that was down along a path, and they'd taken all the lower branches off it, and you actually walked under the canopy of the stachyurus as you came down the path, so in late winter, it was just fantastic to be able to look up at it, but the trick is is to plant them somewhere where you can allow them to do that, because if they can't be allowed to go out sideways, and you cut the ends off the branches because they're becoming a nuisance, you sort of ruin the tree, you ruin the look. Mine is variegated in the leaf, Mm. and it's thrown some that are not variegated but or or, no a differently variegated so it's it's quite peculiar yeah yeah well then that's if it's a variegated leaf one i would suggest it's the cultivar called magpie Uh, i don't know why it's called magpie but it's called magpie Uh, so the variegated stature is yeah i guess it's because it's got two colors but uh yes the the variegated one that's around the trade is is known as magpie so there you go stachyurus I could have bought that in this morning. I didn't think to. There you go. So I'm glad you did, uh, Virginia. Well, it just is looking so beautiful. Mm. Have you got one in your garden? Uh, I've got one in my garden, but the possums have given it curry over the last year or so, and I've had to take it right down and start it off again. Uh, It's shooting from the bottom again fine. But, yeah, they ate everything off it. Mm. So that means deer will eat it as well? Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, I don't have deer issues in my garden as of yet. Do you know what has just happened to me? I am absolutely devastated. Oh, dear. I seem to have had my first deer visit. Oh, no. Well, it's fairly obvious when it happens. Yeah. Um, you know, they they push all the bark off your trees and, oh, yeah, they're dreadful creatures. But it's very possible. I'm sure they're out your way. They're certainly up at Mount Macedon. Well, um, they're all over the Dandenongs, but we haven't had them at my little bit of the valley. Mm. And, I'm, and, and I've got a conifer right at the... Um, Entrance of my, you know, where you drive in, yeah. and at just above waist height, yeah, it's been stripped. Yeah, they love conifers for that. I don't quite know what it is about a conifer, but they love to rub their antler against them, and I think it's when they get rid of all that fuzz off their antlers. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, they do an inordinate amount of damage to anything. It's, that they do it's that twice to. a year they do that. It's when they're taking the velvet yeah. and when they're rutting. Yeah. Yeah, when they're rutting, it's worse. Oh, dear. Randy little beasts. Oh, look. Yes, well, I presume that's what's happened to me because there was one spotted, a lone male, six, nine months ago. Mm. So I'm... 
I mean, the person who does my grapes actually has a licence because he shoots deer at his other grapes, which are up in either the King or the Kiowa Valley. So if we uh, we might try and find it and shoot it. Venison. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> Waste not, what not. Exactly. Oh, dear. Now, Stephen, we have a question to yeah. you. When oh. is the best time to buy Clematis nepalensis? Oh. Well, if I had them ready, now would be good. But this year the seedlings were late coming up because we've had the La Nina. And so I've only got tiny wee little things that uh, in the old measurements probably would be pushing to be three inches tall. I mean, they're healthy enough, but they're very, very small I guess if people wanted them, there's no reason why they couldn't buy one at this point. I'm thinking of potting them up there in square tubes. I was thinking of potting them up into 15-centimetre pots or something shortly and see if I can push them along before the warm weather sets in. Do you have them, Craig? I have one left. (laughs) Well, I've got a good batch, but they're tiny, you know. But, I mean, it's a tough plant, and so it probably wouldn't matter too much. Well, it it is Charmaine from Templestowe, so Mm. if she gets to you quickly enough, she could grab yours. Absolutely. It's it's quite a good-sized one. I don't. I find it weedy. Depends on your definitions. <laughs> it does self-seed. Uh, I get seedlings pop up around the nursery quite regularly. Um, uh, but I don't find it comes up in any sort of It's not going to get in the series. paddock. No, I wouldn't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tends only to germinate where there's a bit of disturbed soil. So um, germinates in the tops of my pots quite regularly, so people mm-hmm. sometimes get a free one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't find it an issue, but it's so pretty. It's such a gorgeous plant. I mean, mm. you've got those winter flowers that the honey eaters just adore. Then you've got the great big fluffy seed heads that are just starting to fluff out now. And uh, last for ages. Yeah, oh, they're just beautiful. And I have noticed a few of the other bird species often grab the seed heads for their nesting uh, material. Yeah, so they use it to fluff out their nests. Um, and um, the, I guess it's only downside for those who've never grown Clematis napolensis is to know that it's summer deciduous, which is always a bit off-putting. So it goes all yellow and then brown and drops leaves most summers. I've got an absolutely stunning euphorbia, Mm. which is deciduous in January. Yeah. So always people will come and want to pull it out. Yeah. And it's only deciduous for about three weeks. Yeah. And then it just bounces back and it is absolutely – I've got a bit of a thing about euphorbias. Yeah. I love euphorbias. and yes, it's you're a bit ab- euphoric about them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And, but people are always wanting to pull it out. Mm. Well, you have the same trouble with the clematis. Yeah. In fact, I warn people about it. Every, every person who comes in and wants to buy one, because they always buy it when they see it in flower And then they think seed, it's dead. Mm. And then they think it's dead. And I've regularly had people come back and say, oh, that thing died, I need another one. And, you know, perfectly well it hadn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was perfectly all right. But they just – either I'd forgotten to tell them or they hadn't listened. Uh, so the only advantage of that is that I sometimes get to sell two. Yeah. <laughs> Summer dormancy can be a big advantage in this country. Yeah. Well, it is because the plant doesn't need to be watered or That's anything. Right. It doesn't mind if it well, dries I, out of it. My garden is full of summer bulbs. I mm. mean, bulbs that are dormant in summer yeah. mm. because they're safe. Mm. I mean, it was something – because I developed my garden during the drought – it was something that I just fell into, yeah. you know, as a way of coping. And I'm so pleased. And the Veltimia, they're all coming out at the moment. Yeah. Although mm. other people call them something else, but I call them Veltimia. Yeah, I'd probably say Volthemia, but anyway. Volthemia, yes. It doesn't matter. We know I, what you mean. Yes, yes, exactly. I knew exactly what you were talking about, so it doesn't matter. It's the ones that pronounce something in such a bizarre way that you actually have to sit back and think about it for a while before you can work out what they've actually asked you about. And the Veltimia, listeners, is a South African bulb that is completely deciduous in 
midsummer, which is perfect because it doesn't die as long as you don't completely overwater it. Mm. And it has lovely flowers now that are sort of a dusky pink. They're sort of like a pink red hot poker yes. to look at. They've mm. got that sort of flower formation. Mm, but lower. Yeah. And it's spelt V-E-L-T-H-E-I-M-I-A or A? No, I-A, I think. I-A, yes. Yeah. So if you want to look it up, Veltimia. Yeah, it's very I, pretty plant. It is, and you do see it around yeah. now. You yeah. see it. You There's a lovely soft yellow one. Yeah, it's a beautiful colour. Yeah, Now, because really I nice. knew I had two absolute experts oh, today. Oh, here we go. I brought in this totally stunning, mm. absolutely wonderful lupin mm-hmm. that one of my friends gave me. Now, she gave it to me as seed and told me it's an annual, which... The, present, the deer has attacked this as well. Mm. So I'm a bit worried I'm not going to get my seed. But it's absolutely beautiful. It's a purple lupin with a very grey um, leaf and it's not Russell. No. It's not no, a, it's, no, it's got the wrong form. It's, it's almost mm. shrubby. Mm. Uh, whereas the Russell lupin tends to have its foliage at ground level and then the flower spikes come up through it without much foliage on them. So it has a quite different form to that. Lupin. Yes, which has leaves right up to where the flower is. Yeah, and yes. the flower spikes are shorter. They're not the big long ones of the of the Russell Lupin. So it's definitely a different species. But did you know that there are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of different Lupin species in the northern hemisphere? Well, when I was in, <laughs> when I was in Mexico with my daughter. I saw them in the desert. Yeah. And I thought, uh, why can't we get these ones in Australia? If they mm. grow in the desert, they, yeah. in Mexico, they'll grow for us. They'd probably go feral here. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they probably could. But you'll see different species growing up in the Andes. You'll see them all over the place. So which one that is, I, I, I'm not familiar with it. I haven't come across that particular loop, and I have to say, and I don't know whether you have, Craig. But, no. Uh, uh, it's certainly a nice plant, so let's hope it does get some seed Seed, on it. yes. Uh, Sounds it like turns... a big genus to wade through. Oh, God. Yeah, look, there's some plants I'll put a little effort in to try and pin down a name for them uh, because you know it's a sort of a limited group and you can sometimes work your way through. But when you've got hundreds of different species to try and find a name for something, it's I've tried doing it even with genera where there's 30 or 40 species in it and it can be pretty hard to, to pin it down. Mm. So, yes, I've no idea. So it's lupin a spook. Definitely loop and spurt. Yeah. And apparently, this is the first year I've had it, apparently an annual. Yeah. Well, keep your eye on it. Make sure you get some seeds. It looks like a worthy plant. And then I'll distribute the seeds widely because it's worth having in our garden. Especially if it flowers this early in the season. Well, it's been in flower for a month, more. More, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I think more. It's just beautiful (laughs) because Craig is the my friend who insisted on me losing the... um, Magnolia. Yeah. It was got, an evergreen magnolia. Yes, and very... Which can be awfully stodgy things, really. Well, look, there's a big clump of them flowering at Periander at the moment, and you can stand up and yeah. look down on them, and they are superb. Yeah. They're beautiful. Mm. But in a, in a smallish garden, they're too big, too dark. Mm. Can't was, and anything it was, underneath It was them. right next to a camellia, which is... A, um, a cross, but crossed with reticulata, so oh, big. Yeah. So big you had two big. big, heavy plants next yeah. to each other. Yeah. Yes, it's a significant a of, victory. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people all around <laughs> Turak and Hawthorne and sundry other areas that are going to need to buy miners' lamps to go around their garden yeah. when their little gem magnolias exactly. get to near maturity. Well, that's what this was like. Yeah. It wasn't a little gem. I wouldn't go near it. Yeah. But it was like a little gem, and so. But anyway, Craig texted me. 
one Sunday morning when the two of us weren't in here yeah. and said, I'm sharpening my chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Turned up at half past seven and immediately noticed the totally stunning lupin. Yeah, well, it is. It's beautiful. It so, is, yes, it, I'll put my hand up for some seed if you get some Virginia absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Now, we also have a message from Peter in Altona. I have very hydroponic soil that is also rather sandy. I don't want to use chemical wetting agents and feel that I have more dust than soil. What advice and help and how long will it take? All right, well, you can get non-chemical wetting agents now, so that could be worth looking into. So if you don't want to use... Because the classic wetting agents are actually petroleum products. They're, Aren't they? They're detergents. Uh, of uh, course. You know, so they, they break the tension in the soil uh, so that then the moisture goes in. So they work, but I have some some reservations about what they might be doing to your um, soil fauna. Um, Absolutely, uh, worms. Being a detergent type mm-hmm. thing. But there are some new ones out there that are apparently organic, natural products as a wetting agent. So that would be my first port of call. That's the short term. Yeah, for the short term, because none of these things stay in the ground all that terribly long. Um, but in a really sandy soil about, the only thing you can do is make sure you get oodles and oodles of organic material That's in. Right. Um, and I'd also get some coarser, pebbly stuff in the ground as well, some coarser gravel. To open it up a bit. Yeah, and, and because sand tends to all be of a similar grade, yeah. uh, and so it can sort of crust and and stop water getting in. But if you were to say get some quarter inch scoria rock and mix that through your soil as well, and um, also I would have thought something like oodles of mushroom compost mm. and start a, a, and just really start a compost heap. Yeah, and and the and if. If the size of your garden is such that a compost heap is difficult, the next thing to do is to dig a hole, yeah. fill it up with all the bits of lettuce and yeah. carrot tops. Trench and, composting. And I did yeah, that for years, years while I was preparing mm-hmm. my ground. I didn't even have compost bins or heaps or pits or anything like that when I first started my garden because I was trenching all the way across my garden. So I dug a trench, broke up the clay in the bottom of the trench, started filling the trench with everything I lay my hands on, and then I mixed the soil from the next trench into the first trench, and I just kept working my way across my whole garden. So everything, and of course, if you're doing that, you can also put fish products and various other things I, in because you're the burying them. Yes. Yep. So at, the risk, put, at the risk of sounding like a stack record... I would put down 15 centimetres of wood chip twice a year. Mm. I would do both. I yeah. would trench and I would mm. – and that because that was going to be my next mulch. Yeah. 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 And, and, and arborist mulch yeah. specifically. Yes. I don't, think, I don't think you want pine mulch. And if you have trouble – I mean, just straight pine, it would be yeah. much better to get arborist mulch. Arborist mulch because it has that range of textures. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so there you go. That might help. Uh, but, yes, All hydrophobic to... soils can be an absolute pain. Mine tends to be a bit that way in summer most years. So by midsummer, I'm watering and then watching the water run down the driveway because it mm. sort of goes over the surface and down. Um, and it can be really difficult. The other thing I do on a regular basis in beds like in the vegetable garden and things is I fluff the ground up a little bit. Um, with a that, fork. Yeah, with a fork. And that sort of breaks the, t- the tension a bit. Mm. And because you've popped a fork into the ground, you've made holes. And so that helps to get water water down as well. So if the soil is really hydrophobic, grab a fork and, um, and and stick it down into the ground in lots of different spots and just loosen the ground a wee bit and that will get water down in there. Now this is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward and with me are Stephen and Craig. If you'd like to ring us, you can ring us on 94190155 or you can send us a text 
on 0488 809 855. And for those podcasters, send us an email, gardening at 3cr.org.au. So 94190155 to ring the 3CR Garden Show. So. All right. Uh, can we make a couple of announcements? Because we haven't yet. No. Um, the Plant Trust is having its AGM this week uh, on Thursday night, um, about six-ish. Um, what's the building called where it's going to be this year? Because it's around near the cafe. Yes, you just you literally come into the visitor centre and you'll see... Um, it is doesn't, it E building or something? It, it'll, it's where all the... Um, Astronomers... Stuff is, is. Yeah. so it's and in the astronomers' see, building. You'll see because the lights will be on, the door will be open, and mm. we'll have us. Yeah. We'll bring the plant trust sign down so that it shows where we are. Good, um, because yeah, we've had so to move from where yeah, we usually yes. are. And that's another announcement I want to make in a minute. But anyhow, plant trust this Thursday night. It's the AGM, which will be hopefully short, quick, and sharp and to the point. Be very short. Yeah, uh, and then we go on to our now world-famous plant auction uh, where we uh, have a range of interesting and rare plants that we source from all over the place and we auction them off and it's great fun and it's a good fundraiser for the organisation and we would welcome some visitors. So, And both you and Craig are donating plants yep, to be sold yep. and I've, I've got some as well. I mm. know Tim Entwistle's coming and I think Helen Page is coming so people are coming because this is the first one, of course. This is post-COVID. Yes, we haven't had How one of our auctions exciting. for a wee while. Mm. Um, um, so that would be really good. Uh, we'll, there'll be action from 6 o'clock. The AGM will be over in no time flat. Then we go into the auction. I think there's going to be a glass of wine to start off with. That's just to lubricate people a little bit. Um, and, yes, it's generally a really pleasant night. So if you want to come along to the AGM of Plant Trust, we'd love to see you there. And if you've got a rare plant that you'd like to add to the auction, yes. Bring but, it yeah. and we'll see you around 6. In fact, this one here I've got here will probably end up at the auction, but we'll talk about the plant later because the other thing I wanted to talk about uh, which is happening in the same general area is of course that Tabby the Art of Botanical Illustration is coming up and it's from the 17th of September to the 2nd of October um, it's open daily from 10 to 4 uh, free entry or a gold coin donation if you would like to make one um, and there will be a selection of more than 170 scientifically accurate highly high quality botanic illustrations on display from botanic artists all around the place it's part of the cultural program for the 7th Global Botanic Gardens Congress uh, in Melbourne in September and it shows artworks online as well by artists from Austria, the Netherlands, Italy, Switzerland, Germany and the Ukraine. Um, so do come along and have a look. The botanic art quality is beyond belief. It's just beautiful work. It's probably the best exhibition of its type in Australia um, and definitely worthwhile spending an hour or two having a look around at the botanic art. Of course, the artworks are for sale and many of the artists will also be supplying greeting cards and prints and other things as well. So um, uh, you don't necessarily have to just buy an original work. You can buy some of the lovely other artwork that will be available there. And uh, so it's a really, really good exhibition and it's... 40 years since the Friends Group started, and this is their 16th biennial um, uh, exhibition because it happens every second year. Um, so it's a sort of a fairly important milestone for the Friends of the Botanic Gardens in lots of different ways. And, of course, it's their first uh, in 
actuality exhibition that they've had for a couple of years as well. Post-COVID. Yeah, yes, yeah because the last one they had was during COVID and all you could do was go on and look at it virtually. So, And next week, 17th and 18th, there are two gardens open in Oakland Gardens Vic, um, Sue Allo at Lovely Banks and Yarra Bee at Lara. Ah, now, yes, you so. visited Suello recently, didn't you? We did with Plant Trust. We went down and, and had a lovely time with Sue in her amazing succulent garden. It's mainly succulents. There's a fair percentage of Australian natives in there as well, mainly as the larger shrubs and trees. But she's got, oh, I don't know how many species of aloe and other succulents of all sorts in her garden. And it's weird because the blocks in there are all quite large sized blocks but everybody sort of just runs around with a lawnmower and then you've got her place stuck in the middle (laughs) with all this plant material Um, so it's very very worthwhile a trip down to Lovely Banks to have a look at Sue Aylo's garden. And then there's the other one at Lara, Yarra Bee and of course if you go to Lara to go to Roraima which is the fabulous nursery yeah. in Lara, which has also got a wonderful garden to visit. So that will make next weekend a really excellent OGV. And if you want to have a look at it online, just go to Open Gardens Victoria and it will And come. you can book as well online too. Yes, exactly. Now we have a call from Marion in Northcote who wants to talk to us about mulch. Hi, Marion. Good morning. How are you? We're all good. Yeah, um, thanks for your lovely show. I um, I have harvested my stinging nettles. <laughs> to make some soup. Uh, yeah, I was going to go into green rice. And I've been... So I'm going to um, convert what was formerly a lawn, then it was stinging nettles, into um, just a, a native sort of grassland. And I've been able to... Um, having listened to your show a lot and the trouble people have sometimes with mulch, I've been able to... Um, get arborists to mulch down. Um, it's a woody mulch uh, mm. now. So I've got so I've got a bit of stinging nettles. Then I've got cardboard. Then I've got sacks. Then I've got this woody mulch. Um, my uh, call for advice is: How deep should that be, and how long should I leave it before I plant into it? Well, if you're going to plant with connection to the soil underneath. Yes. Then you can do it any time. I mean, you're just putting the mulch oh, cool. on the surface, so yep. you can just yes. plant through it. So you yep. can plant at any time. Um, that's not an issue. It's when you start digging woody mulch into the ground and then it starts to rot and it ties up nitrogen and it can cause some issues in the rotting down process. But if it's on the top, it causes no issues. So you oh, can just plant straight through it. And how deep your mulch is, is is a bit immaterial if it's very coarse. It doesn't really matter. It's up to you. Yeah. But yes. it needs okay. to be deep if she's wanting to kill all the grass underneath Yeah, it. well, that's right. It's got to oh, be reasonably well, the deep. The cardboard yeah. will do that. Yes. That, yeah. That's very much what you do, isn't it, Craig? Very much, yeah. 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 And I had killed the grass and then didn't really get onto it. I turned it over and then I had, as I said, this great crop of stinging nettles. So I'm pretty happy that I won't have that sort of heavy matted sort of grass. Right. Well, if um, that's the that case, mulch yeah. and mulch quite thick, yeah. thickly. Yeah. And, and yep. disregard everything that everybody tells you about wood chip. Yeah. On the surface, it's fine. Yeah. It's, okay. It, I mean, so in nature, be... trees fall over and the wood lies on the ground till it rots away. It's yeah. part of the natural right. natural um, uh, processes. So, no, I think the arborist said a word like hugel culture. Really? Oh, that's that's about um, actually using 
great big pieces of tree and things mm. like uh, that and building your mulch around that which and letting, I do. Uh, letting the great. tree rot down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like yeah. having logs lying around the garden. Mm. Well, yeah, there's plenty of them here. Yeah. Well, the insects love. It's just love such it. good habitat. And, and you get and the fungi. You get the fungi. And, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So, how, like, I'm such a numerical person. How deep is too deep? Sort of five centimetres, all right? I don't think there's such a thing as too deep in a sense, as long mm-hmm. as you can still get down to the soil underneath it. Because For 15 if it's centimetres, co- I would have thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's but, fantastic. But, you know, don't, and, don't be sort of. Um, paranoid about it yeah. you know i mean All if right. it's a bit deeper in some parts of the garden than the other uh it's like mm. people who say how far apart do you plant things and i say well i try and do things slightly randomly so there's not in fact an actual distance between mm. but you've got mm. sort of an average that you work with yes. and yeah. i've never had an issue with mulch up against the trunks of no plants. nor have i craig yeah. I'm, you know people talk about you know keeping Color back from and, the trunks yeah, and stuff and right. i've never had an issue with that yeah. i mean i had somebody once say we I put the he... second story on the house because the first was disappearing under the mulch yeah that, that sounds like me. <laughs> I think you can get cholera rot from if you allow soil against the trunk of your. Yeah, if you I think it would depend on the species. Yeah. Yes, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, thank and you so much for that. That's great. And the only thing you need to do over the summer is just because you're going to have new things in is just check the quality of the soil underneath. Pull it back and have a look and make sure there's some moisture getting through. Sure. Fantastic. All right. That's really great. Um, I'm inspired now, and I can just plug away, just do a few, do a bit as a, as the energy. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, garden's a process, not a product. <laughs> Go okay. for it, Marion. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. Good morning. And we have some messages. Does does the panel think cardboard and mulch will work for the for weedy yellow oxalis too? Now, not long term. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that you would have to do it over a long period of time with yeah. multiple layers of cardboard. I found in my bag when I got here this morning and went over to Col- over to McDonald's to get a coffee, and they wouldn't give it to me in a keep cup, so I'm never going there again. And I was sitting emptying my bag going through it and I found a note saying sulphate of iron for oxalis. Yeah, I've got some reservations about it. I've uh, got no idea when I left that note. I haven't dated it. I haven't said who said it. It's just this out of the blue yeah, note. Well, look, I've not tried it, so I can't say one way or the other, but I'd be really surprised if it had too much impact on oxalis, to be honest. Well, I This also... is one of those things you just accept, doesn't it? I mean, it's there and it's almost impossible to eradicate. Yeah. yeah I, I, do think, I do think cardboard helps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, if, if you're persistent with oxalis, I mean, if you keep the tops off it long enough, mm-hmm. uh, it will help. But you can't allow it to have green growth almost for any time during the growing season. Uh, otherwise See, I, it'll I make just go bulbs. through and take off all, you know, take, I don't try and get the bulbs mm. out. I just take off all the, the foliage. All the foliage because mm. then it can't do its normal thing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's about all you can do. Mm. But uh, I think, you know, sometimes you just got to grin and bear some of these plants because mm. um, even using toxic chemicals and stuff, it's not easy to destroy oxalis. So um, it's just one of those things. But, you know, you'll have an impact on it with whatever you do other than trying to dig it out because then you just spread it everywhere. Absolutely. Mm. And if you do dig it out, be terribly careful and put it in the bin. Mm. Now, we have got a question from Alan in West Melbourne. How can you get rid of pigeons without disturbing the other birds? I don't think you can myself, but... 
No, well, I have no idea how you do it. You certainly certainly don't be out there feeding the, the birds yes. because the pigeons will take advantage of your feeding table uh, before the other birds will even get a crack at it because they're very good at those things. Um, so create good habitat for your small birds um, and, yeah, and don't try and be a bird feeder necessarily because then you're just going to encourage more pigeons. You Absolutely. need a peregrine falcon, don't you? <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, if you've got a pet peregrine falcon around, that might help. Yeah. Uh, but none of these natural um, remedies are cures. They just help keep the numbers down fractionally because even a good peregrine falcon is not going to eat that many pigeons. My father used to put out for the Indian miners, he used to establish a feeding pattern. And then he'd put out bread soaked in vodka and gather them all up and wring their necks. Sounds a bit violent, but anyhow. Well, they're shockers. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you, do have, uh, you do have a problem that you'll have other birds going for your vodka. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Don't know about that one, mm. but certainly he was onto that. He didn't like them because he liked the native birds. birds yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I don't like the miners. I've got to. St- I have to stop feeding at the moment because the miners have come in. Yeah, and I don't want them there. No, but I don't think. I I do think though you can make a huge difference in your garden. When I moved in, I had no small birds, mm. absolutely none, and now I've got so many. Even the weebill, which mm. I'm so, which is the smallest bird in Australia, it nested straight up above my outside table last mm. year. That was thrilling, and I have found that the salvias have been absolutely fabulous at providing habitat for the small birds because so many of them flower in winter, so it gives the honey eaters something to go for. Yep, and they need. And the the little blue wrens around at the moment, but they need cover. They really mm-hmm. need bushy, yeah. bushes to and get into. And that's to save them too from the big native birds as well as oh, anything yes, else. Yes. I mean, the, the currawongs and kookaburras and all the other predatory birds, um, they need shelter from them. And the wattle birds. The mm. wattle birds at this time of year chase the small birds away and they mm. really need cover. Mm. And so what you've got to be doing... It, to encourage the small birds is to think about giving them, you know, waist high type shrubs. Yeah, and preferably something that's a little bit twiggy and spiky. Yes, yeah, because the little birds can get in there, um, and the bigger birds can't. And don't just plant at one time of year because if you go out in spring and plant, oh that's beautiful, oh that's beautiful plant, then you've got a whole lot of spring flowering, but you've got to have winter flowering and summer yeah, you flowering. Need to stagger if you, the, you, you the want thing. to stagger your flowers. Mm. For the birds, but which p- is one pigeons of... are dependent on food, aren't they? I mean, yeah, there's got to be something there for them to eat. Yeah, yeah. And if it's not in your garden, it'll be in your neighbour's garden. That's right. So you know, so they will be depending on foraging for bread and grain and other things around. So somebody is feeding them around the area because normally they hang around the city areas and they'll they pick up crumbs and and stuff off the ground. Mm. Um, so if you're getting lots of pigeons, there's got to be a f- food source around that's encouraging them. We've had another message from Charmaine to say thank you very much. She's got two perfect places for Nepalensis and that she visited your garden ah. last week and loved it. Oh, good, good. And somebody else has asked, can we give some advice on caring for azaleas? Mulch. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're getting a little repetitive Pruning. here, Craig. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a stuck record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pruning after flowering. Yes. You can prune them actually twice. You can prune them straight after they flower and then you can do them again early to mid-January and then that's it. They're starting to make flower buds. Yeah. What about things like lacewing? 
I don't deal with it. I just live with it. Mm. Because yeah, see, I can't it requires, bear it, so I've yeah. got rid of all my azaleas. I haven't got one in the garden. It requires chemicals, and I won't use them. So yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, the yeah. other thing with azalea is to plant them young. Don't try to put in advanced ones, or they tend to sit in their root ball. Some of them at Long Acres, um, Roger planted eight-inch pots of azaleas, and ten years later they were looking miserable, and I went to dig them up, and they just I could have just pulled them out of the ground. So they hadn't really moved Hadn't moved at all, whereas across the road I planted a huge bank of them using tube stock, and they just took off. That When I was at Burnley... That was very much something we were taught. I, I just did the apprenticeship course. Mm. I didn't do a degree. But very much we were told that if you plant an, a, a tree, an advanced tree, and you plant a, a really young one, the young one will always catch up to the advanced because yeah. it's the, because of the shock. Well, I lived through that. When we had the Ash Wednesday bushfires at Mount Macedon, a lot of people's gardens were turned to black charcoal. Mm. So, of course, they were very impatient and a lot of people did go out and spend big money on advanced trees. Mm. Uh, you know, they went out and bought some really big stuff to give them an instant impact. But within several years, any of the small things they put in had almost invariably overtaken their big expensive trees. The big expensive ones just sit there for quite a long time. Yeah, they take ages to break out. That's right. So, yeah. um, so you know, long term, you're far better off with most things not buying them too big. Yes. Now, I really like the next message we've had. Good on you, Virginia. I won't buy coffee if they won't use my keep cup. I completely <laughs> agree with you. Yeah. Remember that program on the ABC where a whole tram... The war on waste. War yeah. on waste. A whole <laughs> tram full of cups. Do you know what really pees me? It's the people who go into a cafe, order a takeaway coffee and then, and sit, then sit down sit and drink it, it in the takeaway cup. That drives me insane and I so want to have a word with those people. Uh, I mean, if you're in a cafe and they can serve you a coffee in a cup, why on earth you would take it in a, uh, mm. a takeaway well, as, and then throw as, it away? That's just beside... I get beside myself with that. Well, Rose from Mitcham says their takeaway cups should be called throwaway cups. Yes. And she said, hope those damn deer go elsewhere. <laughs> and congrats on the little birds. Yeah. I've planted hakeas, grasses and other spiky stuff, trying to attract the little guys but not seeing them much. The other thing I reckon, Rose, is put in some salvias mm. that flower at different times because... You've really got to have those flowers for the New Hollands and the... Yeah, the spinebills, all those the sorts spine of bills. You, you You want to be thinking about, and I think if you get some of those winter flowering plants, that really does bring them because there is less around for them then. There's quite a lot in winter, the aloes. Yeah. They like yeah. and and, and nice quite a lot of the camellias they have a go at. That's right. You know, yeah. A lot of them love camellias yeah. when they're in flower, yeah. so and a lot of those are winter flowering. And nyphophias. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's some winter flowering ones mm-hmm. of those. So yes, anything that's winter blooming or flowering out of sync with what your main show in your garden tends to be is always going to be much more useful. And of course single flowers are always better than big blousy doubles. So double in many flowers. Ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well it's one of the things as I've got older that I've done is I've moved more and more into species rather than the yeah. bread and I find the species are often better for mm. the birds because I've got such big windows. I just sit and watch bir- my birds at mm. times because it's just so delightful. Yeah, they're lovely mm. and we've seen blue wrens in the garden this year so far and we've we've had some yellow robins in which are 
gorgeous little cheeky things. I'm very fond of them. They garden with you. Yeah, they do, yes. If yeah. you're out there pulling weeds and stuff, they're almost underneath your fork. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so we get lots of those little birds. And, of course, all the spinebills and stuff love our garden. They mm-hmm. waft around drinking out of the mahonias and all sorts of stuff. So, yes. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's good move. Get as many different plants in. And, look, I get told off regularly by people who say we should be planting natives for the native birds. But I tell you what, nectar's nectar as far as I can work out. And they I'm, don't seem to care where the plant comes from as long as it gives them a good nectar source. And people say a native plant is from Western Australia is a native plant, which it is because mm. the, um, well, politically politi- the political is. geography says that it is. Yeah. But it's not... Mm. You never see a bird that's demanding a passport before it, re- it eats nectar. Well, from I'm the sure farm. sometimes they like a Mexican salvia because they want to go out for Mexican. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so and well, we might as well mention this plant in passing because it in Absolutely. fact is a great bird attractor. If you've got something in your garden that has tubular red flowers, you can bank on it having adapted for bird pollination. Uh, birds see red really well. Uh, tubular flowers they can stick their little beaks up into. Um, and this particular plant I bought in is a flowering currant, um, Ribes speciosa. And it comes from sort of Southern California into New Mexico. And it's a, an arching prickly shrub. It's more closely related to the gooseberry part of the Ribes family than the current side, in fact. Um, so it gets these big thorns on it. And it has arching canes that will grow to a shrub a couple of metres tall, often wider than it is tall. In England, they grow it as a wall shrub. It looks fantastic. Hey, it's Yeah. Oh, yeah. stunning as it a wall be. shrub. Because yeah. it's got these little red flowers that hang down with these long stamens that stick out of them. Sort of almost fuchsia-esque-y. Um, I think and, they are quite fuchsia Yeah, and they're really pretty. They flower in the late winter. They're loaded with nectar. Um, and it's one of those shrubs that if it gets too hot and dry in the summer, it'll just defoliate. That's right. So it'll become yeah. summer deciduous if it needs to. Mm-hmm. So it's... Very adaptable in our climates. And pretty uh, vicious. And it is a vicious thorny shrub, but at least it has the good sense of having dead straight thorns, so they go in and they come straight out again. Mm. Uh, whereas your average <laughs> rose bush, you know, once you get hooked up in one of them, you end yeah. up with bits of thorns stuck in your skin forever uh, and it all goes septic and things go very awry. Uh, so at least all this will do is it Says go, our Stephen who adores roses. Yeah, yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> one of my favourite groups of plants. Uh, uh, so I don't actually mind this one. I mean... You know, many's a time I've used a few expletives when I've gone in underneath it to try and weed under it, or I've backed into it. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's a, it's a instantaneous thing, and then it's over. So I don't mind uh, at all. Now the issue with this ribes, though, is that it's not the world's easiest plant to propagate, so you don't see it round the trade. It's very rarely available. Do you ever have it for sale, Craig? Uh, occasionally, I get some cuttings to strike. Yeah. I've got it in the garden. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lovely, lovely yeah. shrub, but well, it's not well, that easy to propagate. Our dear friend Anne Keppert yeah. gave me one of these. Yeah, and I have it, and I've planted it out by itself, so mm. it can just. Yeah, billow. Mm. Mm. It's a great plant. If yes. you don't want it to billow, it's perfectly amenable to pruning. Oh, yeah. 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 So really interesting plant. So I like the thought of a wall. I just don't have a wall. Maybe yeah, I, I don't have a sunny wall to one. plant it against, <laughs> I have to say. Build a wall for the plant. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yes, well, it does. You know, you've got to have your priorities. Um, but, yes, as a wall shrub, it'd be good. The only thing is, of course, being as prickly as it is, you'd need to go in with the welding gloves to tie it in place. But you know. Could you give its name again? Ribes speciosa. So... Mm. Speciosa meaning spectacular. Species. It's it's 
showy. Uh, that's where speciosa comes from. And Ribes, of course, is the name of the whole current group, and that's where the word Ribena came from. I, I, I saw the little honey eaters on sanguinium the other day. Yeah, they will. Actually, yeah. the silver eyes like sanguinium too, mm. the little tiny silver eyes. Now, that, get is, into that is a small bird that I very rarely see. Yeah, we get them around our place. They, I get a lot of them in the nursery, and dare I say they love the seeds on the gunnera. And they go around, they pick the little orange okay. berries out of the gunnera, and then they drop the seeds around the nursery. And I never raise gunnera anymore. I just go around and dig out the seedlings out of the pots all around the nursery where the silver eyes have spread which, them. Which tells us that you shouldn't plant it near bush. Well, it's, it's, it's an environmental weed in parts of New Zealand, mm. oh, along the waterways. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. it would be because yeah. it loves the damp, cool yeah. climate there. Yeah. I don't doubt that it had ever become a particular problem in this country. Dandenongs, perhaps, but... Damp and cool. Not enough waterways. Yeah. No, no yeah. so I don't think it had ever become a real problem here. And our wonderful listeners, we have somebody who from Nanagoon, Trevor, who has something to tell us about azaleas. Hi, Trevor. Good morning, how are you? Good, thank you. That's good. Uh, yeah, I've just we've got all sorts of azaleas on the property we bought a few years ago. Um, one of them, it's uh, it's like a deep sort of ready, sort of almost burgundy colour, but it's got a growth on one branch, um, and it's like a miniature azalea. Yeah, that can happen. Um, I've actually got a golden Philadelphus, the mock orange, that's thrown a... Uh, a witch's broom. A witch's broom on it at the moment, which I'm keeping an eye on to see mm-hmm. what it does. And yeah. what often happens if you propagate from what we call witch's brooms, um, then you often end up with a miniature version thereof. So it's a way of developing a dwarf form of something. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because I have taken a cutting of it and it is growing. So. Yeah, yeah, well, in theory, it should become a dwarf one. Most dwarf conifers, particularly in the pines, start out as witch's brooms uh, and okay. then they graft from that and then you end up with a dwarf pine. Uh, and many other plants have done the same thing. So if you've got a sharp eye and you see these things, um, uh, they can sometimes work out to be useful garden plants. Uh, I don't know whether my Philadelphus will turn out to be useful. I mean, it's got gold foliage and if it's a dwarf form, that could be good. But sometimes witch's brooms don't flower as well as the uh. normal form. So whether mine will actually get flowers on it, which is the main point why you'd plant a Philadelphus, I guess. Uh, well, that will be interesting, Trevor, if you can keep an eye on it. Yeah. Ring back in when maybe next year and tell us if you get decent so flowers So how do you deal it. with a lace bug, Trevor? Uh, not an issue at all up here. We've got, I've got plenty of Israelis and they're all just going gangbusters. Never oh, well, we'll send you up some lace wing then if you'd <laughs> like. <laughs> Actually, bugs for bugs is supposed to be quite good for yeah. the lace bug. I've tried that with uh, Luma. I had a Luma hedge at home mm. that was getting really, really infested. Uh, and I did the bugs for bugs things. And it did have an impact, but it didn't impact enough, I don't think, to actually make the uh, effect of the lace wing is particularly it on, less. Is it only lace wing, red spider mite? Well, it can be red spider mite mm. as well. Uh, and you can get the bugs for bugs in both directions. In fact, it may be the same so bug. So maybe, sure. maybe the cold in Nanagoon saves you, Trevor. Generally, oh, what, no what the lace... Sorry. No idea, but, uh, yeah, everything just, just booms up here. I, got, I don't spray with anything or we don't uh, treat any mm. bugs or anything up here. We've, we've got uh, about two acres of garden and it's um, it just... It all just sort of looks after itself. Mm, that's well, good. That sounds absolutely excellent. Well, what the red spider mite don't like is moisture. Mm. 
you find that you get them February, March when it's really dry is when they really hit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll keep my eye out for any, anything like that, but, um, yeah. But, no, it's interesting. I'll, I'll let you know how I go with this little um, yes. cutting. Yes, yeah, you, you can call it Trevor's Tiny or something. <laughs> <laughs> Good I'll, on you, yeah, Trevor. That. Can, can, you, um, can you sort of create a new sort of form of a plant? Like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. This could easily become a new form of azalea. Um, which can then be named and and cultivated and what have you. Uh, And it depends on which group of plants it is. Some plants there is a registrar for, and therefore you should, in fact, register the name. But there's lots of plants that there's no registrar registrar for, so you name it. Uh, Once it's accepted in the trade with that name, hopefully it sticks with it. Um, uh, Just be innovative and interesting about the name and don't give it some sort of naff stupid name, really. (laughs) Well, good... Good luck with that. No Trevor. worries. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Oh, what I didn't mention before too was that, of course, the bits I bought in this morning. They are on our Facebook and Instagram feeds, I assume. I sent them all to Liz yesterday. So if people want to see what Ribe speciosa looks like, they should be able to go in and look at it on our social media feeds, as they will with the other things that I've bought in today and probably some of yours as well, Virginia. I haven't, but I will put on... Yeah, put the stack of uh, particularly. I'll yeah. actually photograph the plant and put yeah. that up. Yeah. Now, this is the 3CR Garden Show. You're listening to me, Virginia, Stephen and Craig. And if you wish to ring in, it is 94190155. Or you can send us a text on 0488 809 855. And Michael from Forest Hill is ringing in about birds. Hello, Michael. Oh, yeah, just... G'day. Look, yeah, sorry, just... um, as my understanding is that um, larger larger birds um, prefer open open sort of uh, spaces, and um, you, you've kind of alluded to it already that um, if you have um, sort of shrubbery and and um, um, you know um, foliage and all that sort of thing, the smaller birds will come in, but the larger birds won't. Won't be attracted to the, you know, to the to the open uh, open open uh, spaces. So um, that might be an idea. That might be a, a bit of a help to to sort of uh, you know yes, keep, you... Keep, keep, keep the pigeons away and all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So that just just a thought. Thank you very uh, much for that, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I think thickets, yeah. isn't it, is what yeah. you want? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Big birds yeah. like a, an open space so that they can fly through. Mm. Um, yeah. So the less open space you have, the more likely you are to have small birds and not big ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just a simple point, and that's basically, well, yeah. Thank you very yeah. much for that, Michael. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay, all right. Yes, I think that's quite true. Mm. Um, now, there's one other thing I thought we should point out is that this weekend is the Yay show. Oh, yes. Ben and Kerry are definitely up there. If you would mm. like to go, listeners, and meet Ben and Kerry, they, they've got a stall there and there'll be a lot of excellent stalls. So if you are anywhere near Yay or if you fancy a day out. It's a nice trip out to Yay. I was out there this trip. last week. I went out to talk for the Yay Garden Club uh, 
on Thursday, so only a couple of days ago, um, and certainly going across from Macedon through Broadford. Oh, that's and, a wonderful and, and, journey. And Strath Creek and so forth. It's the most beautiful drive. It's pretty nice go, and lush, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, it is. It's gorgeous at the moment. And yeah. when you go through that Murchison Pass, the mm. view... Is, when I come to your place, I always go that way. It's oh, not the fastest. I should no, go no. through the city, but mm. I always go that yeah, way. It's just gorgeous. So beautiful. And Yeh is a pretty town. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'd definitely recommend a trip out to that part of the world this weekend. Today would be a lovely day to go to Yay. And then, of course, there's a few coming up quickly for your diaries. The 1st and 2nd of October is the Garden Lovers Fair in Macedon. The 5th and 6th of November is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. So put both of those in your diary. And if there are any um, regional guides out there from Botanic Gardens, 24th to 28th of October is the Guides Conference at the Royal Botanic Gardens. So, yes, there's lots going on, of course, because it's spring. Uh, and, <laughs> Everybody's and, doing. And I do think, actually, the, the people who sell at those plant fairs it, you do find unusual plants that oh, you'll, you'll you never find in Bunnings. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, and you need to support these smaller growers all round, which includes Craig and me. Um, Absolutely. So um, yes, if you keep the the smaller nurseries going, they will have those interesting plants that you don't see elsewhere. So mm. definitely worth it. Now, Craig, did you bring in a plant or three? I did, but I also bought in a tool, which I find to be essential. I mean, I think gardening tools are half the battle. Mm. Yes, if you have good tools. Yep, and my silky pocket boy, which is a little folding pruning saw, Japanese made, that fits in your pocket, is absolutely fantastic. Is it it really called silky pocket boy? It's a silky pocket boy. Mm. There's the evidence. Wow. Just mind they're sharp. <laughs> and, and I've had it for a number of years and it's still really sharp and mm. I work it. Mm. It is. It's called pocket Silky Pocket Boy. Yeah. The mm. Silky are a Japanese range of saws. They have everything from the pole saws right down to this pocket boy. Well, that is, I mean, what is fantastic is being able to carry your tools Absolutely. around the garden. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to a saw. I mean, you can always yeah. whack a pair of secateurs in your pocket, but, you know, most of your saws, you've got to carry them around. That's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And no, the then something boy. happens and you put them down and mm. then two hours later, where on earth There's have I mulched the on saw? top of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I tend to find most of my tools end up in the compost. Tool, That's right. You know, and yeah. then I find them when I'm digging the compost out. Yeah. yeah. Emptying the compost is, yeah, it's a bit yeah. like a lucky dip. Yes. <laughs> you never know quite what pair of secateurs yeah. you'll find or, in there. Or glasses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, all those things. Yes, yes uh, but did. usually beyond repair at that oh, stage yeah. as yes. well. But, yeah. yeah, the pocket boy is one to look at. And, and the silky saws are really good quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very, very good So tools. where does one get that? That particular brand um, from I, I buy them from Arbor Green oh, yeah. online. Mm. Yep, Arbor Green have a really good range of tools. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well worthwhile looking at. Yeah, and lots of ARS secateurs on that site. Mm. Yeah, good. Well, that, that's a very excellent piece of information. So that is Silky Pocket Boy, and it really does fit in your pocket. Mm. Yes, which is really useful. Very useful. Yes. Yeah, and. Fritillaria thumbergii, which is probably the easiest, I think, of the frits. It's one of the simpler ones, isn't it? It's really really easy to grow and it is stunningly beautiful. Mm. So the the outside is lime green and soft yellow. And then if you turn... cream. Yeah, or cream. You turn it over, it's a checkerboard on the inside of the petals. 
I love Fritillaria, of course, having lived all that time in England where they grow wild because mm. it's wet. And I've try- I tried when I first came back, I did try to grow them, but what a totally pointless exercise <laughs> that was. You yeah. need to look at the country of origin. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you need to get the right ones. The Mediterranean ones are not difficult. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I have... I've got acma petala that comes up in my veggie garden. That's right. I've got big drifts of acma petala. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. In fact, I did have big drifts of acma petala until a cockatoo or a... Or a Rosella decided that it yep. wanted to take the tops off them, right. um, they which do. is very frustrating. I hate yeah. that. Mm. Blasted they, birds pulling your plants to bits. They pulled out all my – a big clump of yellow galanthus. Oh, oh, no. Pulled them out of the ground and chewed the bulbs. Oh, no. Oh, Craig. Yeah. yeah it is... hurts when that happens. Yeah. Uh, yes, but, you well, know, it is what it is. Well, it is what it is. I mean, one of those naughty parrot species also decided to pluck a lot of my hellebore flowers off my double white hellebores this year mm-hmm. as well and also took the tops off all my elephant garlic. Mm. Just broke it off and dropped it to the ground. Right. Well, last year, my magnolia vulcan, I lost all the... Um, all the flowers yeah. to the parrots, mm. and this year I haven't lost any of them. Touch wood. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Oh, some wonderful caller has phoned in to point out that the Yay Garden Expo is next weekend, not this weekend. I did this last time I was here, got my weekends mixed up. Oh. I really should be taken out to the cleaners. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear, yes. Yeah, I thought it was rather quick, but I wasn't going to contradict you because I thought you must have had the dates there. But yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. So next weekend for Yay, mm. and I think it will be um, a really lovely, interesting weekend, and yeah. that gives you Saturday or Sunday. That's right, exactly. Apologies. So two I, did, days. Yep, I did this last time. I'm very sorry. Oh, uh, dear. I can't. And, and, and the beautiful thing about the Mediterranean fritz is oh, that yeah. you can – they're really easy from seed. Oh, yeah. If you, take if, long if you to want a up. big clump of them, mm. that's the way to do it, to raise them from seed and plant them out. Well, that's definitely worth it. Maybe yeah. that's what I should do, move into Mediterranean fritz. Well, especially now I've made a bit of space by taking out – I've taken out two camellias, a magnolia, a paperbark and um, Chinese elm. So you, you took the Chinese elm out? I did. Oh, here we go. It yeah. sounds quite radical, uh, Virginia, but anyhow. It is. Uh, it is. But, but radical is required from time to time. Well, of course it is. You know, yeah. Every so often I get a rush of blood and I think, why the hell have I still got that thing there when it really isn't paying its way? That's right. Uh, so you've got to be quite analytical about your plants sometimes. Well, yeah. also you've got to remember the mass and void. You know, mm. To make the garden beautiful, you must have the void. Mm. And I, um, when the garden's young, you plant a lot of things knowing that in five years' time, they'll be overcrowded. Yeah. And then you've got to well, thin them. You wouldn't plant with the long term in mind because otherwise you end up with too much blank space for too long. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, you overplant and then and you what, have to be strong about it and start culling. And, and if you don't, you, you it's a clutter. Mm. And my plectranthus, enormous amount of my plectranthus has gone to God, mm. or at least the compost heap. Yeah. And well, a fair it, bit of mine went to God with the frost this year, but anyhow. <laughs> will they come back? Uh, they probably will, but I'm getting tired of plectranthus, I have to say. They're great in dry shade, but Macedon is really too borderline for them. Mm. And 
if I get flowers at all, it's once every two or three years. Yeah. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, things like the Econii one grows like mad. I end up with these huge big bushes of it. And it'll just be, this year it did flower because our frosts were late. Um, but most years it's just coming up into bud and we get our first autumn frosts and it just wipes it off. And I keep thinking it's taking up all that space where I might be able to find something that will do the job equally as well but not be frost tender. Um, I mean, when we had our opening two weekends ago, um, I had quite a number of black plectranthus is sitting around the place that I really couldn't do anything with because it was too early to cut them back. So they just had to sit there looking miserable. Mm. Um, and they, you know... Zuluensis flowers later. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's got the best of the flowers. Yeah, well, the ones I've tried have all been moderately they all, useless. They all come from either... Further, much further north than us yeah. in Australia or from South Africa. Yeah, exactly. They, they do not come from cold climates. No. So anyhow, so I've just about given up on plectranthus. So for me, it will be a gap and I'll just find some new That's and That's an opportunity. Thing. It is to try something I haven't had space to put in before perhaps. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, you I, trial plants and, and look, give them a, a good trial because sometimes – the first year or so, things don't work as well as you'd like, but sometimes things settle down and do well later. So be a little patient, but don't live forever waiting for something to happen because if it's not going to happen after a fairly short time, it won't happen at all. Mm. So, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to be realistic about some of these things. Absolutely. Yeah, you grow yes. what does well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you have the occasional, you know, that you nurture and you hope. And is oh, your special one, but yeah. not not a whole garden. Yeah, and look, sometimes I'll grow something just for the sake of growing it. Uh, but once it's gone, I wouldn't do it again. I'd just mm. say I've been there, I've done that. Blue mm. poppies are a classic example. Mechanopsis. Yeah, mm. I raised a whole batch of blue poppies. I got them up into six-inch pots, nice big fat plants, plonked them in the garden, watched them flower, and then watched them frizzle away and die. Yeah. Um, so I just considered it a, a, a very expensive annual. Uh, yeah. And for one season, I had this quite large cloud of blue poppies in How my divine. garden, which I've never redone because it's just all too much hard work. Well, but, for me, the dove tree, mm, I just, of course, I could probably grow it now. Yeah, you're getting more shelter around you. I'm yeah. getting more shelter and we've had rain. Mm. I reckon you could grow it. Uh, Peter Teese tells me that he's got a client that grows it in Mildura. It's all about position. Mm. There you go. Nothing is impossible, just some things are harder to do than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, of course, I, I tried to grow the dove tea in the drought. Yeah, well, that, was, that was not a good silly. start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. no I, well, I, I planted one at Long Acres that I raised from seed, and it's been in the ground for 20 years now, and this year it flowered. Mm. It was, And it didn't just, not just one or two, it flowered. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, well you've got a beautiful one in your garden. I have, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're a gorgeous tree. Yeah. But you do have to have some sense of patience with dove trees as a rule because they do take a long time to flower. But there's a new one. Yeah, there's a one that Peter's bulking up, I think. Mm. I don't know that he's got any for sale yet. Uh, Sonora, uh, which has extra big flowers and flowers much younger. Um, so for those of us starting to feel our um, longevity is closing in around us, 
then Stephen, that one's the one to get. When you ring Peter for his donation to the plant, I've already trust, done that. Oh, because that would be good if we could get. Yeah, I don't know that he's got any spares. No, I don't. I haven't seen it no, around. You know. no. Uh, so uh, hopefully in due course. But anyhow, I've already rung him about that and he's expecting you on Wednesday and I told him if he doesn't pull some stuff out and you arrive and they're not out, he'll get a telling off. <laughs> so there you go. I think he's so, quite amenable to being told off. Yeah, I think he is, yeah, so it should be fine. <laughs> now, Stephen, could you announce the, where the Botanical Art Exhibition uh, is again? Yes. Now, it's from September the 17th to October the 2nd. Uh, it's open daily, 10 to 4 p.m., Free entry, gold coin donation if you would like, which I'm sure that the friends would appreciate. And it's at um, Domain House, which is in Dallas Brooks Drive, which runs off Burdettwood Avenue down onto Domain Road, um, directly opposite the herbarium. So if you go down in front of the herbarium, you'll see Domain House down on your right-hand side. It's a white brick building, um, and that's where the exhibition will be. Uh, please go and look at it. It's, it's going to be fantastic. Excellent. So when you're down at your minor, uh, Virginia, you can have a look at the garden beds. I yes, will. Which I've been, been doing on. them for a couple of years now, mm. firstly with a chainsaw. And <laughs> <laughs> you and your chainsaw. Well, they were, they were extra full. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, they were planted as stock beds, really, mm, weren't they? Yeah, Just 20, 40 off. years ago. Yeah, and yeah so yeah. they were definitely due for a cleaning out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's good. Yeah, and it's working quite well. You know, it's a, it's a fun place to work because it's such a vast selection of plants to use. Mm. Yes. yes, you can go and just pull something out of stock. Absolutely. It yeah, 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 yeah. Good way to go. Mm. Yes, it sounds like fun. So tell me, what else did you bring, Craig? Oh, the Pinus thumbergii are coming into growth. I love pines when they get their new growth. It, it is as good as any flowering, I think. Yeah, it yeah. is. And you can get sort of, well, that thumbergii has got sort of almost silvery new growth on That's it, or right. whitish, yeah. but then you can get some that are coppery brown. Uh-huh. and So there's a lot of diversity in it, and people yeah. just don't notice most of the time. And this one, I think, probably came from Dixonia. Yeah, could it have? Yeah, it's possible. Many, many years ago. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Yatsabusa form, so it's a dwarf form, which they still form substantial shrubs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Given enough time, they're not that dwarf, most of them. Well, they are up against the, the big ones. Yeah, well, yeah. true. But, yes, they're not dwarf in a garden sometimes. Yeah. You plant them That's as a right. centrepiece for a rock garden, and you end up with this thing that's three metres each way. Yeah. Uh, but it takes time to get there. It takes time to get there, yeah. And and, and they are, at this time of the year, beautiful with uh, mm. silvery white new candles and dark green growth. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be without the dwarf pines in yeah, my garden. Um, they're wonderful textural plants, and mm-hmm. they often have a really nice free-form habit about them. That's right. And you can reinforce that with a bit of pruning and shaping. Yep. And also leaving them enough space as well, I think. Yeah. We have um, a call about tiger lilies from Merricks. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, Virginia. (laughs) Morning, Stephen. Hello. How are we? We're well. Um, I found last year I got a large number of tiger lily seeds from a friend here at Merricks North who has tiger lilies right through her very large garden and Mm. they look stunning. I have to put them onto some soil in a tray and up they came and I planted out probably a hundred or more tiger lilies scattered through my garden here and they looked terrific for the first I don't know a couple of weeks then I stopped fretting about them and never saw them again so I've started again I've had seeds in this year they're now up to about five inches high looking very healthy and um, I'm about to sort of start planting them out again. But is there some mystery? Am I missing something here? Is there well, something? Something's obviously eating them off. Bunny yeah. rabbits. 
Mm. You've no, got... I don't have rabbits here. No, rabbits don't eat lilliums. Don't no. they? No. no, I wouldn't have thought so. Well, no, I'm going to put more toxic. lilies in. Uh, they're very healthy-looking plants, and they've, you know they've certainly you know come up from seed very easily. Now, did they come up from seed, or did they come up from little bulbils? Because tiger lilies tend to produce bulbils up the stems. Oh, all right, the little bulbils. They yeah. they were sort of almost unraveling as I was planting, as I sort of put them into the yeah. seed rows. Yeah, so it, it's probably the little bulbils that tiger lilies produce, and normally they will get up to flowering size in two to three years. I wonder if they got too oh. wet. Mm. Was it two last to three summer? Years. Yeah, they normally take two to three years to flower from the little bulbils. Oh. <laughs> Lee. There you are. I've learned something already, Stephen. Yeah, Thank uh, you. And when you say they all disappeared, you sure they just didn't die down in their normal cycle? No, because she said that they was... I just never saw them again. I don't know where they went. You'll see, maybe if you were weren't being observant, they might be just coming up now because the tiger lilies I noticed in my garden are just starting to poke through the ground. Um Maybe the ones from last time are still there and yet to to show themselves. That is a possibility. Yeah, especially mm. if you hadn't sort of been paying attention and they just disappeared, uh, they may well have just gone dormant. And because they were young, they weren't going to be flowering size anyway. Um, so they may be due to pop out of the ground any minute, Lee. Oh, all right. So as I plant this current tray of little plants... Yeah. And watch them more carefully. Yeah, they, they, look, they should be fine. I mean, they're, they're one of the toughest of the lilliums. Maybe. That's an understatement. Yeah, yeah they're, they're almost <laughs> usually almost indestructible. Yeah. And um, maybe leave it a bit later, Lee. Get them a bit bigger before you plant them. Oh, okay. Well, I was hoping you going to try and put some into a couple of big pots and watch so yes. that I could watch Yeah, well, that's really probably good. a good idea to have some as potted plants so that you can keep a, a closer eye on them. Uh, but, yeah, look, if you've got neighbours growing them really well in your area um, uh, with gardens full of them, there's absolutely no reason and why you shouldn't be able to as well. How can right. you not have rabbits? I'm I don't... Sh- no, I do not have rabbits. I mean, I know you've got a big dog that would take them out, but... Oh, I don't know that she would. No, she's, she bought a play with them, maybe. <laughs> there's nothing fierce about my dog. Yeah. <laughs> but that would Let, probably scare them Can I just tell you a little scary story? I've just been... Have you got time? Please. I've just been up to the Torres Strait, mm. Thursday Island and Horn Island and the, the tip as they called it up there, and back again and out to Weeper and various places. So we did 14 or 1,500 kilometres, I suppose, and in the top end there, uh, up to Cape York, and not an insect did we see. There's not a fly, there's not a mosquito, there's not a moth. Wow. None of us got a bite. There were three of us travelling together and we got nothing got bitten and there were no flies around our food. And I said there was nothing on the car when we cleaned the car off when we had to return it. A lot of red dust, but no insects. About which I found very scary and Mm. very peculiar and very unnatural. I think that sounds terrible. It does. So we were eating most of our meals outside because it was so warm and the sun was shining. Oh, I don't don't rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) It was an excellent place to go in August, I can tell you. Yeah. But there were no insects up there. That is a bit worrying in a tropical climate like that. You assume there will be well, swarms of clouds of them, yeah. I think the only place that you'd say it's reasonable to have no insects at some of the time would be the Antarctic. Yes. Exactly. Well, it is the dry season, of course, but there are lots of uh, wild animals wandering. You know, there's horses and mm. goats and all sorts of stuff wandering around up there. And you'd think um, that would attract the occasional fly? Mm. Mm. Initially, I was thinking, oh, there's been some wholesale spraying going on up here, which is a bit nasty. But you couldn't. I mean, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of square miles. Mm. Dear, strange. that isn't a particularly pleasing thing to hear. No, it was very weird, Stephen, I've mm. got to say. 
And if anybody could throw any light on it, I'd be interested. And also on that, Lee, also let us know in a few weeks if you do find last year's tiger lilies popping up. Yeah, because they will be a little behind the ones that you've been growing on in pots or in trays. So, okay, so even if I put some of these new little plants today into a yeah. large pot pots, and yeah. stand them in the corner and watch them, yeah. um, I still won't get flowers for two or three years. Oh, yeah, no, the little ones will take two to three years to flower. If you really feed them up, you might get them in the second year, but it's normally two to three years before they get big enough to flower. Which is pretty quick for a lily, really. Well, it is really when you yeah. think about it. Mm. Yeah, okay, all right. Thank you very much. That's been most helpful. All right, yeah, it's darling. a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Well, that sounds interesting, if nothing else. Now we also have a, an, a flowering current call from Jill in East Malvern. Hi, Jill. Hi. Uh, during, the, during this winter, before the leaves came on to my flowering current, the flowers were out and it was absolutely beautiful. Tiny, tiny little sprigs of leaves just beginning but the dominant feature, you know, seven times larger than the leaves, were the wonderful flowers of the flowering current. And I have it next to a pale pink daisy. And people came and photographed the garden. Just mm-hmm. neighbours. Oh, know, that's nice. That wasn't that a nice compliment. It is. It if is. people like what they see, it's always nice to have that happen in your garden. Yes, yeah, so people are interested. And then I say to them, would you like a cutting? Oh, yes, my opposite neighbour wants one of those. <laughs> so spreading the word for something different. But instead of have doing Stephen's thing of having something different, if I give the cutting of my favourite thing to everybody, it'll be all over the neighbourhood. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the downside. Ex- <laughs> no, that's an excellent I thing to do. I think it's a good thing. Yes, yeah. ex- I mean, this is exactly what Plant Trust is about, trying mm. to conserve unusual garden plants. Yeah. It's important. Well, well, my theme is magenta, crimson and pink uh, flowers. And so at the moment, the best are... The snapdragons, and I've got the pale pink ones and the crimson ones next one, you know, plants next to each other. And uh, dianthus has still have come on, and uh, lots of other things too, you know, beetroot, irisine, beetroot coloured uh, leaves, you know, of the, of the beetroot. I've planted that in the front garden, so anything with gentum. Crimson and pink all go together. Very sensible. I could have I could have a bit of mauve, a bit of white, a little bit of pale yellow, etc., etc. But you know, no, it's very it's very good, Jill, to con, to contain the colour. Hmm. Thanks for ringing in, Jill. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye. 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 Oh yes. So that um. <laughs> I do like I've got um I've had kale in my garden mm. just for the different leaf just wanting mm-hmm. that different leaf Yeah because you wouldn't want to eat it <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll eat kale out of my garden I won't buy it out of the mm. shop but I love it out of my garden but I the rats also like it now so it's a had to come out of the vegetable garden oh. I had the worst year so far touch wood I think I've worked my way around it with my broad beans with rats Yeah I sowed the seeds as I normally do and Two days later, I came along and there was these little tiny holes all over the bed where I'd sown the seeds and every single seed was gone. I tried it again. 
they came straight back in again and ate what? the broad bean seeds broad again. Broad beans, yeah. Uh, and so what I did was I raised a whole batch of them in pots up at the nursery, uh, and I guess once the actual seed had disintegrated, mm-hmm. they weren't that interested in the plant. So I've planted seedling broad beans this year, which I've never had to do before. Uh, and I also shifted the bed I was going to put them in just to try and confuse them a little bit, so I moved it to the other side <laughs> of the vegetable garden. Uh, no, and- well, they did that to me with the beetroot. They yeah. loved the beetroot. And also the beetroot looked normal. Mm. Then you pulled it out of the ground and, and it all been nothing eaten. underneath. Yeah. Really? Yep. Yeah, so yeah, so this is the first year I've struggled with broad beans. They've always been one of my core crops. And now, of course, because it took so long to actually get them in the ground, they're only probably a few inches tall. So A bit behind. Get, yeah, they're a bit behind. Normally I'd have them up and almost mm. flowering by now, but uh, the rats stopped it this time. So next year I'm, I'll be ahead of it and I'll get them started in pots earlier mm. um, so that I can hopefully beat them. I'm Virginia Hayward and this is the 3CR Garden Show. If you'd like to give us a ring, 94190155 or send us a text on 0488809855. And podcasters, gardening at 3cr.org.au. So that phone number is 94190155. Craig, another flower. Cyclamen. Yay. Cyclamen are in full swing. Mm. So we have Libanoticum, which has been flowering for quite a while now. It's yes. kind of a sparse one. Yeah, you don't often get great shows with it. It tends to be a I'm bit working sick. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got quite a big patch of them going. You have to sit down with a little fork and... Yeah, move the babies around. Move the babies around. <laughs> yeah. That's right, to make it drift. But look, it's, it's a nice one. It's a soft pink and it's a big flower, mm. big showy flower. And the leaves are big too. Um with a green centre and then a sort of pale green margin. Yes, because yeah. one of the things about cyclamen is that the leaf is just so totally wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you'd grow them for the foliage alone. Yes. They are just lovely. That's things. right. And, and Libanoticum likes lime. Does it? It's yep. never had lime in my garden. No, but if you put it on, it improves. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the dolomite. Um, and... Just starting is Rapandum, mm, which yes. is great plant. Yeah, one of my favourites. Rapandum's a woodland cyclamen, and the corms pull themselves down really deep, mm. so it's all really hard to find if you want to dig them up. Um, ah, very pretty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. we saw woodlands of those in uh, Corsica. And you could be driving along with the window down and you could smell them. Really? Oh, yeah. They, so they would make us pull over to the side of the road because I'd say to Craig, there's got to be some rapandum out there somewhere. And you'd get yeah. out of the car and you'd walk into the woodland and there'd be It'd this be huge big patch of it. Of it. Yeah. Um, and it was just gorgeous. Normally in the magenta pink, but you do get the occasional white or pale pink one amongst them. That's right. And mm. beautiful foliage. And the foliage sits right on the ground, yeah. really flat. Yeah, so so Rapandum is definitely worth looking out for. Actually, can I make a a comment about cyclamen? For anybody who's really interested in seeing a range of them, this is a a plug for me, so what can I say? Um, My YouTube channel, which I haven't mentioned for a while, the the Horticulturalists, we did a YouTube video on cyclamen throughout the year. Now, it doesn't cover every species, but it makes sure that you know which ones will flower or at least some of which flower at each season of the year so that you can actually have them 
more or less year round, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they're just such useful little plants. And it was a good good podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it worked really useful. well. Yeah. I, I enjoyed doing it because there was lots of interesting sort of asides and stories to tell about some of them because uh, – you know, they're a, a fairly important group of plants that have been in horticulture for a long time. I'm um, just going to show the boys a flower, which mm-hmm. is a cyclamen in my garden, which I don't know which one it is, but it's very gorgeous. It's persicum. It's got yeah. very yeah. fine petals. Yeah, yeah, the wild form of persicum, which is mm-hmm. a lovely, lovely thing. It's That's often right. quite highly perfumed, yeah. uh, so it's worth getting down on your hands and knees and sticking your nose in. Uh, it likes the sunshine. It does seem to like the sunshine. I find it marginally cold-sensitive where I am, so I've got to be careful where I plant yeah, it. Yeah, would be, uh, yeah. It sometimes frosts. Uh, but I'm finding persicum self-seeding quite nicely around the garden. Mm-hmm. But again, sort of sporadically, it just seems to pop up in yeah. the most unexpected spots when the, the ants carry a seed, you know, and then drop it somewhere and then it pops up in a spot where you weren't expecting it. But, it, yes, it does certainly look like persicum, which is uh, – it's funny because that's what the big pots cyclamen were grown from. They were, they were hybridised up from those little dainty wild forms till they got those huge, big, gross Mother's Day cyclamen, and now they're breeding them back down back again. Down you, again yeah. you get the, the sort of more or less dwarf versions, but they're sort of chunky. They've lost the sort of the elegance. elegance. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The, that's, that's the beauty of persicum is the elegance of the flowers. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they're rarely scented either. So yeah. uh, the dwarfer versions of persicum that are getting around out there, I don't think are a scrap on the wild species. And, and the species... Is variable, so you get a nice range of flower colours and they all sort of blend. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so it's definitely worth growing for for that reason alone. So, uh, yeah, so I think I've got 10 or 12 different cyclamen in the garden now, and most of them have settled in quite well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them not madly self-seeding. Uh, Rolf Sianum's never set a seed for me. There's a flower? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. something. Yeah, I, I get the, I get, I, I, I've had flowers touch wood uh, every year for the last four or five years. I've even tried going in and doing some hand pollinating to see if I can sort of encourage some seed pods, but Rolf Sianum has decided it just doesn't want to set seed for me. Uh, but um, uh, Pseudibericum self-seeds quite nicely. Pseudibericum, yeah. You've got a flower of that, and that's a nice... Nice, rich, magenta-y pink. Really good dark pink. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, so most of them are self-seedings. Um, Cyclamen creticum is now starting to self-seed. That's right. Balearicum is self-seeding, although I find the two hard to tell apart. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so most of my cyclamen are, to some extent, colonising. I think that the hills around Melbourne replicate the hills around the Mediterranean yeah. and they're really at home. Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah, so if you're going to do something nasty to your cyclamen, it's normally your fault. I always say that the natural enemy of the cyclamen is you and a garden fork. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if you can leave them well enough alone. You need to give these things a space yeah. so that they, so that in the dormancy there's a bear patch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you sort of got to live with that. Well, I have to say for people around the Dandenongs, to go and look at Craig's cyclamen is a treat mm. at the moment. Yeah. Absolute treat. I would imagine that some of the other open gardens up there would have reasonable patches of cyclamen. Hedrifolium. Yeah, mainly hedrifolium. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you don't see some of the other species. Not so much. So much. Even, not even coom. 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. I'm I trying to rectify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea if you can rectify that. Yeah. I mean, Hedrofolium is the classical species that everybody who's had a crack at them will have, and, and it can live for... With good reason. Yeah. Oh, it's a good plant, and yeah. I mean, it does really well. I've got a big batch in the garden at home that will be about the size of this studio, and it's just... Yeah gorgeous when it's in flower and, and then lovely in leaf. And the other one, the ones you have in your car park, Craig, they must be, I mean, that is not an easy place to grow. That's hedrofolium and it's growing in a, in a planter box with mm. buxus mm. in it's amongst extra- buxus roots. Yeah. Loves it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm finding my libanoticum is actually doing its best in, in the roots of my bamboo. Yeah. Right. It's doing really well and it's self-seeding yeah. itself through the bamboo. So, I think they like root competition. Yeah. yeah. So clearly, they're one of those ones, unlike the Davidia in my garden, that will that will do for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And and most of the cyclamen species grow perfectly well around Melbourne suburbia. Yep. Um, uh, my dear old friend Lydia, when she was alive and lived in Nunawading, she had huge collection of cyclamen there, mm-hmm. uh, and they grew very well for her in pots and in the ground. Yep. Um, and she, she had them self seeding all over the place, and uh, um, and she was growing fantastic Rolfsianums and and all sorts of. Stuff. So, yeah. um, so they're very growable in Melbourne. So you don't have to feel that you can't grow them like we can uh, no. up in the hills. And uh, I think the, one of the big mistakes and this fallacy that they like to be on the surface. Yeah, I think they like to be buried. Oh yeah, I, I would cover all my cyclamen, including wild persicum. I don't let it Absolutely. sit up near the top. Yeah. And yet that seems to be what they do with the big pot ones. They yeah. keep the tubers out of the ground a bit. Uh, all my cyclamen are buried. Uh-huh. So, so if you've got cyclamen that are a bit high, the logical thing would be to throw Dig a whole lot and of your... bury them or, or mulch or, yeah, them. Or th- or Put throw, a whole lot of compost on yeah, them. Yeah. Throw some wood chips over the top. They, they love mulch. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so that's a good thing to do. I mean, I've got some hedrofoliums that would be the tubers would be the size of a soup terrain. Mm. And I've had them for over 40 years, the same yeah. individual tubers. Yeah. And they probably get a couple of hundred flowers each when they're in flower every mm-hmm. year. And they, they're still in rude health and they're 40 years old. So, you know, there you go. They'll out see me. Now, I've got a couple of messages that have come in. One is from obviously one of my friends in the Botanic Gardens. People should visit the Royal Botanic Gardens to see the camellia Natitisma. Oh, the yellow one. The yellow flower. Mm-hmm. It's just coming into flower. Ah, well and worth a, a trip in for that. Absolutely. And also the brush box up on the Hopeton lawn because the Queen planted it there in 1954. Oh, well, that's a good idea. Why, why, why not visit that tree? Exactly. That's a good it's, idea. It's the week for it. And I that's mean, the thing in the Botanic Gardens. There's lots of commemorative trees planted yes. by all sorts of... Uh, extraordinary people. Yeah, famous and extraordinary people that have planted a tree. And it sort of gives the whole place another layer of history and interest mm. when you see the trees mm. and different dignitaries put in. Absolutely. And I'm also on the afternoon of Sunday the 25th, I'm taking a walk if anyone wants to join me. Oh, good. You can just come in, you can book or you can just turn up. Nitidissima is a bit hard to find. It's yeah. very hard to find. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was only it was only dis- discovered by botanists in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. So it's it's quite a new. I mean, obviously, the Vietnamese people that lived around it had known about it for rather a long time. Yes, probably. But science didn't have it 
Yeah. Listed. Well, the problem is a lot of those species camellias. Um, there's a few that have that have hit the main part of the trade and have, have found their niche. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those really interesting species camellias, there's nobody out there propagating them enough and uh, and promoting them enough. Mm. I mean, I've got Camellia amplexa corlis in the garden at home, I, and it I, has a. I leaf, love that. It's got a leaf the size of a nine and a half boot. It's mm. huge, and it looks like somebody's been polishing it with Mister Sheen. Mm. The new growth is bright red. Um, its flowers are. Big pink cup-shaped flowers, and it flowers sporadically. It doesn't seem to have a particular flowering season. And I only found out recently it's now uh, considered extinct in the wild. Oh, that's so, did frost is no issue for you with doesn't that one? Seem to be okay. Uh, I mean, it might get a little bit nipped on a, a few new leaves that it yep. sent up rather stupidly at the wrong time of the year because it doesn't have a proper sort of growth season. So you get flushes at different times of the year on it. Uh, and in fact, I got a plant of. What was thought to be a white version of Amplexa corlis until comparatively recently, and it's now been put in uh, its own species, um, Camellia lucii, L-U-C-I-I. And so that's basically a white version of Amplexa corlis. And I've got a baby one that's, you know, sort of only about a foot tall at the moment. Um, But those species, Camellias, some of them are just... You know, people think of camellias and you think of a sort of similar pattern, uh, immaterial whether they're sasanquas or reticulatas or whatever. They're pink, red or white um, and they're big evergreen bushes and their foliage is somewhat dark green and similar. Yeah. Um, but when you look at some of the species camellias that are out there, I mean, there's some with tiny little leaves, there are some with huge leaves. Some um, with tiny little flowers, yeah. but hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah, minututiflora yes, is a exactly good example of that. Of. It was a gorgeous it, little thing. It's just coming out in the yeah. botanic gardens. I noticed a couple of days ago that minututiflora yeah, is in, yeah. there's just masses of bud yeah. on it. Yeah, so, minutiflora yeah. is an exercise in patience. Yeah, yeah, t- it's slow, but anyhow. <laughs> yeah. To grow. Um, and yeah. I can remember seeing one when I was up in New South Wales years ago that Bob Cherry had that was one of the tropical camellias, uh, Atropurpurea, and it had leaves about a foot and a half long but quite long and narrow. It looked mm-hmm. more like a giant gum leaf okay. than a camellia. You wouldn't have picked it for a camellia, mm. uh, but I believe it's far too tropical to bring this far south. So I don't know whether anybody's grown it well, down here. In, at- when they first came into Britain, they had to be grown in orangeries. Yeah. They, of course, they couldn't get them to flower. They could mm. get them to grow, but they couldn't get until the saluensis was discovered and they crossed that and made the, Yeah, and then they got the hardy hybrids. Yeah, mm. yeah. Particularly uh, the William C.I., which I think is the best of It's a great series of hybrids. Yeah, garden beautiful. Mm. Yeah, really yeah, good things. And they cope because the William C.I. will cope with the drought. Yeah. Which I think is terribly but important. Of course, the, the range of camellias available commercially these days is woeful. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's yeah. really basically a handful mm. of sasanqua, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really sad. You rarely see a reticulata for sale these no. days. Certainly, you might see some lachuensis, but apart from that, you don't see terribly many species camellias out there. Uh, and yet, they're such damn good garden plants for our. Mediterranean climate in southern Australia. Once they're established, they're bulletproof. It's just the first few years. Mm. Yep. So so somebody needs to get to work on them, Andrew Raper. (laughs) They certainly do. (laughs) Well, he's got a fantastic collection of camellias up there, but he grows mainly the larger quantities of commercial camellias. And I keep trying to push him and saying, why aren't you propagating those? I'll buy them from you. Just propagate them. Absolutely. Grow 20 a year, I'll buy all of them from you. Uh, Not enough. It's not enough. Yeah, he's got to grow things in the thousands to to make it a paying proposition, he says. 
Well, he could have a little sideline on the smaller numbers. Yeah, and he could charge more for them. I don't mind paying a premium price for Especially something rare. Especially for Yeah. I mean, you know, people want the yellow camellia, and it's got such an extraordinary leaf. Mm, it's so, beautiful. It's so different. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Great well, I, I got some hybrids from it from a nursery in Queensland, mm. um, which has yellow, but it also has a flush of pink through it. Oh, right. But the same size flower. As it's about to come into flower in my garden now. I was going to say, does it flower right for you? Because I know nitidissima is pretty pointless up where we are. It can be grown, but it rarely, if ever, sets any flowers. This one's well. It's, this is the first year it's going to flower properly, yeah. so we'll have a look. Yeah, yeah but also but, I think Craig's warmer than you, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, yeah. we're both in the hills, but it's quite a different climate. Yeah, but where you're way you higher. Are. Yeah, and and you know, and we also get, you're much further from the sea. Yes, we're more inland, so mm. we don't get the coastal sea breezes in the afternoon that can bring the temperature down a bit if we're going to be hot up there we stay hot mm. and then if we're going to be cold well we get some really serious frost no, so no. so we get extremes in both directions Olinda's very temperate yeah it is yeah. It's, it's a very benign climate to grow things in our next text is from one of our producers and she says hi lovely team it's burn here i'm heading off to western australia tomorrow any tips reviewing wildflowers well, all down around the southwest should be starting to look pretty good down uh, Well, she's going at, south to yeah, Algerian Bay. I'm taking it to a, in a fortnight. Uh, I'm off to Western Australia to do sort of around the Esperance, Margaret River, Albany, all around that area. And we'll also be visiting gardens and things as well. Um, uh, the trick is, is to get in touch with somebody over there that's sort of in in the loop with what's going on. People like Sabrina Hahn, who works in Western Australia, she's one of the ABC presenters over there. Sabrina's actually coming with us on our Western Australian tour because um, she knows the areas that the wildflowers are in. I'd be really surprised if there's not uh, somebody within the Western Australian Tourist Bureau that has their finger on the pulse as to where they are. I know if you're in South Africa and you want to do the the wildflower belt up the... Uh, the, the west coast of South Africa, they have a flower hotline that you can ring right. and they'll tell you what parts of the area are looking at their best at the moment. So they're, they're, so that's one suggestion, Burn. Try the Tourist Bureau when you get to Perth. And the other one is to, if you, I'm sure if you went up to the, the Botanic Gardens in Perth. Yeah, go to Kings Park. Which is a truly fabulous Botanic mm. Garden, so it's well worth a visit. And mm. I'm sure one of the guides there would ha- would know or could tell you who to ask yeah. there. Yeah, there's got to be somebody who keeps their ears to the ground when it comes to where the flowers are at their best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be really surprised if there's not. And then the next one, have we got any tips? This is from Roz in Merricks. Have we got any tips on getting rid of onion weed? No. Persistence. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing you do. I mean, You um, can eat it. Yes, and so do the cockatoos. Yes. They dig my lawn up all the time digging up onion weed. Oh, really? Uh, oh, but yeah. the onion weed still wins. Yeah, of course it does because yeah. they never get it all. No. Uh, they do seem to manage to get all of the seeds out of the pine cones, though, because yeah. – yeah. You rarely see a pine or, cone with seeds in it anymore. Or black cockatoos. Well, it can be both, but mm. the black cockatoos are particularly good at it. Um, we've got some beautiful Pinus ponderosas growing in the uh, Macedon Cemetery, and I keep hunting around the cemetery to see if I can find some pine cones with some seeds still in them because uh, it's a very majestic tree, Pinus ponderosa. Um, Is that uh, one of the Mexican ones? Uh, no, it's sort of, well, southern North America. So, mm. yeah. So, There's a big one at Long Acres. Yeah. Straight and, and planted it. Yeah, beautiful yeah. tree, mm. beautiful tree. Wonderful bark, sort of like alligator 
bark on it, uh, and a very upright sort of conical sort of over outline of the tree. Uh, and I could sell oodles of Pinus ponderosa if I could just get some blasted seeds. I'll have a look. Does it need you need two to get seeds? No. No, it should be self-pollinated. I'll have a look at long Yeah, yeah if you get any seeds, for you. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to get some seed pods. So I've got several complete, customers hanging out. complete diversion to but, Pinus ponderosa. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, is saying Ros that no, none of us know how to get rid of no, onion look, meat. Cut it, cut it back before it flowers too. Yeah, so yeah don't let don't, it go to seed. Don't let it go to seed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if you are persistent and you keep digging bulbs out and what have you, you can get on top of it, but it's a pain in the neck, and it will keep coming in from outside of your property as yeah. well because other people won't be managing it. Uh, I know onion weeds become an enormous problem up in the Dandenongs. It, it, seems it to be keeps everywhere. appearing on my nature strip, and I couldn't figure out yeah. how it's getting there until I saw a pile of stuff that the guys who clean the gutter dumped. Ah. And there it all was coming up in it. Yeah, they'd been grading it out. Yep. And, and yep. yes, and so therefore they were giving you a little present. A little present, that's yeah. right. <laughs> oh, dear. And then we have another message from Vicky and Peter in Notting Hill, who I hope will be coming to the Plant Trust AGM on Thursday. Uh, hi, Virginia, Stephen and Craig. What time is your walk on the 25th of September? It's in the afternoon. I think two, I think I start. But we know I'm not very good on numbers. Apparently. Mm. So we've heard. <laughs> uh, and where will you be walking? Well, if you two come, you can decide where we walk. Uh, Stephen, our Bombaya cacumimum is just starting to flower. Do you know which plant they're talking about? B O M B E Y A Bombaya C A C U M I N U M. It's not something they got from me. Well, there we have a little mystery. Yeah, I, I, unless there's a, a, a weird misspelling there somewhere, um, I'm not quite sure what we're talking about, right. so I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Well, hopefully we'll see them at the Plant mm-hmm. Trust AGM because yep. they often do come. Yep, that would which, be good. Which is always a good time. I think we've got time for one more flower. All right. Well, I'll just mention, because I went to all the effort to bring them down here, uh, my Tecophilias, my oh, blue Chilean crocus. I've bought two different forms down. There's Tecophilia cyanocrocus, which is the sort of type form with its intensely blue, really carillion blue flowers on it. And I might add, they're not crocuses. Even though they're called crocuses, they're in a different plant family, but they look like a crocus. So if you've got a vision of a crocus in your head, you can sort of get your head around what a Tecophilia looks like. And I've got it in its form called Violacea, which is the sort of purpley form. So if you look at those, you can see that one's definitely more purple than the other. There's also one called Leclentii, which is blue with a white centre. They're the three sort of types of Tecophilias out there. They're not really a bulb for the garden. They're really hard to keep in the garden. Every slug and snail worth its salt will want to come in and eat them. Um, They're best grown in pots. Uh, Put them out in the full light when they're growing and flowering. And then when they die down, keep your pots in dry shade. So keep them cool and shaded in the summer months. Uh, They multiply gratifyingly, if not really fast. Can you leave them in completely dry shade? Yeah. As in the shed? Yeah, you could. Mm. Yes, yeah. They don't need to have any moisture on them when they're dormant in the summer. Um, I just put them at the back of the shade house somewhere where I can just sort of forget yeah. about them. Um, and for a long time, they were thought to be completely extinct in the wild. Uh, but that was mainly because. 
they'd been collected out of the areas they knew to be growing in, but they have in recent decades found some new stands of them in the Andes in South America. So it isn't, in fact, extinct and are they, in the wild. are they stopping people collecting them? I hope so, but you know what? Any of these sort of countries are like if there's money to be made. Not, there's very little about them to me that resembles a crocus. Yeah, well, we, dimension-wise. Can we stop there because we have another call from yeah. Peter in Fairfield. We will just be able to fit Peter in. Hi, Peter. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. A few weeks ago, there was a substitute for Buxus in the shade mentioned, and I've got a pen ready this time. <laughs> Buxus in the shade. The S- only thing I think... Sarcococca? Yeah, Sarcococca would be the, the plant that I would recommend. Which uh, has a beautiful scent. Yes, and it has yeah, a box-like leaf. They, ca- they call it yeah. Christmas box in England, and it's yeah. S-A-R... C O double C O C A, I think. <laughs> Anyhow, that should get you Googling all right. You'll, yeah. you'll find yeah. it with whatever that spelling was. Sweet box. Yeah, sweet box, Christmas box. Yeah, sweet box. That's mm. what we call it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a great plant. Uh, it's not quite as strong in the stems as Buxes, so it can flop yeah. out a little bit if you try and grow it up too tall. But if you just want it as an edging no, no. hedge, yeah. it's ideal. Well, what's happened is the trees have grown. And the buxus there isn't happy. Yeah, well, if the buxus is failing, the sarcococca should work. But you you won't make a tight formal hedge like buxus does. You can still clip it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be quite as dense. But anyhow, it's it's better than nothing. No, no, that's that's great. Thanks, Peter. We'll have to go there. Okay, bye. Bye. Now, um, the the um, Craig buys silky pocket boy. Online, so go to Silky Pocket Boy and you should find that. And does Jasmine officinalis have pink or white stems on the flower? Should have whitish stems, I, I think. I would yeah. have said white Because uh, the pink one is um, jasmine and polyanthem, uh, which is the common jasmine out there. Mm. Uh, officinalis should be fairly pure white, I would have thought. Right. With green stems. Right, okay. And... And that the online tool address, who do you buy them from? Arbor Green. Arbor Green. Arbor Green. Yeah, if you Google Arbor Green, they'll come up and they have a nice range of tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that should be useful. Oh, so this this is good. So we can we've got three minutes. So we All right. Well, I just quickly mention the other plant yes, that I, uh, I haven't mentioned. I want to know what it is. Mm. Yeah, it's a weird plant. Believe it or not, in the ranunculus family. Really, it's one of the few woody ranunculus plants, and it has the least showy flowers of any ranunculus known to man. It's a thing called Darzantheriza simplicissima, um, and it's called yellow root in America, where it's native. It grows in woodland areas, and it makes a sucker. Colony and and that's sort of in full bloom. So they've got these funny little <coughs> sprays of greeny brown flowers on it, uh, of no particular showiness, although it's pleasant to look at. But its foliage is really pretty, and it colours well in the autumn before it sheds. So you get this ground cover shrub uh, with quite pleasant autumnal foliage on it. Uh, and so it's a really weird plant uh, in an unexpected family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Ranunculaceae doesn't sound right for this no. plant somehow, so I don't <laughs> quite know how it ended up in there. But anyhow, and apparently the American Indians used to use the roots medicinally, and so it has other sort of uses and things as well. But for 
a, a semi-shaded, not too dry an aspect. It could be quite a pleasant and interesting sort of addition. It's a lovely a, leaf, but mm, is that, a, that is the flower. That is the flowers, yes, these funny little sprays of greeny-brown things. So it's in full bloom. Yeah, basically. Because yeah. it looks like it's about to bloom. Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah, no, that's about it really. Um, but, yeah, I had yellow root years and years ago and somehow or another lost it and I've only recently got it back again. I mean, it's never going to set the world on fire. I'm not going to sell millions of them, but it's a really pleasant addition. It's a lovely leaf. Of a small woody plant Mm. for woodland gardens. I Mm -hmm. mean, most of your woodland things tend to be ephemeral perennials. So this just gives you that added little something different. It would look great with your hostas. Well, I think we'd better say goodbye now. What a good idea. So, oh, and I'll just quickly say that next week it is going to be Emma hosting with Roger Elliott coming in. Oh, good. Which will be exciting. And John Arnott and Chloe Foster. So that'll definitely be worth listening to next week. Goodbye all. 